Okay, so I'm going to pray. God, I just <laughs> ask for your help. I feel at risk of preaching in the flesh, and I don't want that. I'd rather sit down, so please help me to see. Help us to see who you are. Send your spirit. Have mercy. Guard us from uh, self-reliance. Amen. Things are pretty crazy out there right now. People chanting in the streets, death to America. How does that make you feel? Trump is going to bring order. Now, he might be able to. You could send some troops in. How do you wield power? What is power? I was talking uh, with my daughter yesterday. I was thinking of this idea. There's a song we sing, Come, Lord Jesus, Come. And it says, one of the lines is, Bring the nations to their knees, we pray. Right? The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. So God, would you bring the nations to their knees? And I asked my daughter, I said, how do you bring a nation to their knees? She's like, I don't know. And I said, well, just imagine there's a group of people over there, and they're out of control. And God's going to bring them to their knees. How? And she said, well, show them his glory. Which is what this text is about, God's glory. Verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. And I said, okay, how will he show his glory? Like what makes people bend the knee? God is powerful. There's this announcement that God's going to come in a display of power. Listen to this. Valleys shall be lifted up. Mountains will be made low. Uneven ground will be made level. And the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. So yes, God, come in power. How do you still the nations? How do you bring people to their knees? What is power? I'll just pose that question to you, and then let me back up here, and I want to kind of set the stage for where we are in Isaiah. We are in Isaiah 40, and there's a huge change here. So all up to, through chapter 39, here's what's been happening. Israel has been being judged for abandoning God, simply put. Isaiah has been saying, Assyria is coming, and later Babylon is coming. Assyria made it to the gates, right, to the gates of the city. Hezekiah prayed, and God turned Assyria away. God showed mercy and immediately, at the end of chapter 39, the chapter previous to this chapter that we're in, Hezekiah then turns and makes a covenant, basically, with Babylon. He opens the door to the king of Babylon and brings him in and shows him all his stuff. Look at all our riches. Let me pick up in verse 3, chapter 39. After Hezekiah invited the king and showed him all his stuff, Isaiah, said to the, prof Isaiah the prophet came to king Hezekiah and said, what did these men say? 
And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah say, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. What are they going to do? So then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming. So Assyria was turned away, but Babylon is now at the gates. Behold, the days are coming. Now listen to what God says and then listen to Hezekiah's response. The days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Not only that, nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons, your children, who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Was he listening? Your sons, your daughters will be taken away as slaves and exiles. Your sons will be emasculated. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Why? There will be peace and security in my day. He's a scoundrel. And one thing we see in the scripture over and over again, that no matter how good a king does, because Hezekiah did well, right, a couple chapters ago, they're not good enough. And what happens between chapter 39 and chapter 40 is about a 150-year time leap. When we pick up in chapter 40, all that was prophesied about Babylon already happened. You can read this in the book of First and Second Kings. Babylon comes in and it carries away the Israelites and they're in exile. And when we pick up at the, in chapter 40, the exile is about over. And this is why God speaks this way. Comfort. Comfort, my people. There's a, there's a change of tone in the book of Isaiah right here in this chapter. The first half of Isaiah is a lot about confrontation. And there's some comfort in here. The second half is a lot more about consolation, about comfort, my people. This is what he says. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And they're going to go back to the land. And what are they going to do? Just have another king? Right? You're going to go back to normal? Back to the good old days? You're going to make Israel great again? Right? That's the lesson. It's not that great. King Hezekiah kicked the door open for Babylon. King Solomon, right? All his adultery. David, his murder and adultery. None of these kings will do. The key is not to get back to Israel. The key is a new king. And so as we unfold the final chapters, 20-some chapters of Isaiah, what comes into view is this growing vision of a need for a king, a servant, a suffering servant even, right, who transcends the world that no earthly king will do. And so when God is talking about he's going to come, and he's going to come and reveal his glory. He's talking about Jesus. Let me just cut to the chase here because I'm short on time. He's talking about Christ coming in power. So back to that question. How is power revealed? What is power? Right now, everybody in the streets out there is fighting for power. I mean, you have so many different factions. It's insane. 
I listen to all kinds of podcasts, and I hear everybody. I mean, I listen to communist podcasts. I listen to libertarian podcasts. I want to hear what they're all doing. And you know what they're all doing? The same thing. You know what they want? Power. They want the ability to tell everyone else how to live. We have the proper vision. Antifa has the proper vision. Black Lives Matter has the proper vision. The libertarians have the proper vision. They all sound really different, but they're all the same. They want power. They want to make everyone else bend the knee. Listen to this. This is a pretty famous Marxist-Leninist quote. People aren't sure of the exact origin, but listen to this. With an iron fist, we will drive humanity to happiness. Right? Because we have a vision and we know what life should be like and you are in the way. And so by any means necessary, we will get to utopia. All the blood spilled is worth it for where we're going. And we will exert our power to do that. All for your joy, of course. But God says here he's going to reveal his glory and it's going to be a display of power, right? The ground shall become level. The mountains shall become low. The valleys shall become high. Can you do that? That is a high degree of power. And we talk often here about God's power. He's omnipotent, right, which means all-powerful. He speaks and things happen. That's power. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. He upholds us. We live in him. We, we believe, I believe, the word teaches that we live in him. In him we have our being. If he stops speaking my life, I'm gone. Constantly being upheld by the power of God. God is a God of power. So yeah, God, bring the nations to their knees. We look around and we see chaos and we see danger and we see factions and we see disorder and the nations are tottering. God, come on. You can bring the nations to their knees. You can do this. And that's what he says he's going to do. All flesh shall see it together. And so there's this proclamation, this right in verse 9. Let me, I'm kind of jumping around here. I've got um, right this, this, let me go back. Verse 1 and 2 is this idea that God is saying, I speak comfort to my people. Why? My glory is coming. That's verses 4 and 5. It will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Verse 6 through 8 basically says this, the grass withers. You are like grass. Don't hope in King Hezekiah. Don't hope in King David. Don't hope in these politicians. They're like grass. They wither. Some of them are withering right now. You know what I mean? Like both candidates. They're like highly withered or weathered or however you want to put it. But it doesn't matter. Who are you going to put up? Don't hope in that. Get you up on a high mountain, verse 9, O Zion, herald of good news. Behold your God. Your God is coming. And he's going to bring the nations to their knees. See, when we pray that, I wonder how, we, how you do answer that question. Like, God, come and bring the nations to their knees. Come and bring your power and root out evil. Listen to this quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says this. If only there were, if only that was the problem, that there was evil people out there. 
right? If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us. Chase out the Nazis. Chase out the communists. Chase out the Christian evangelicals. If only necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the problem is that the dividing, the dividing line of good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. So when we say, God, come in power, come and crush the chaos, come and eradicate evil, we stand condemned. Has God brought you to your knees? Like, have you bowed the knee? Do you know Jesus? How did that happen? How did it happen? There's a song we sing. I'm no longer slaves. I was listening to it this morning during rehearsal. You know how God brings you to your knees? He unravels you. We sing the line, you unravel me with a melody. You drown my fear in perfect love. That's power. So, let me speak from the context of parenting. Talk about chaos. And very often, the spirit of the room is not how I'd like it to be. And you know what's easy? To bring power the way man sees it. They will bend the knee. They will shut up. You can make an eight-year-old shut up. But is that, the, is that what's beautiful? You know why I resort to that? And sometimes that's necessary. They're out of control. I'm not, we got to discipline the children. But I'm not talking about what's helpful or necessary sometimes. I'm asking about what's beautiful. Why we're here worshiping. Like, you wouldn't worship me because I would say, hey, kids, I need you to be quiet, and I've trained them to obey. No, no, no. Oh, if I could unravel them with love. If I could drown their fear. That's power. What Trump or Biden or whoever offers you, that's earthly power that I believe we only cling to because we're actually weak. Oh, like when we cry out, God, bring the nations to their knees, I believe what we should be yearning for there and what we're asking for is for him to drown their fears in perfect love. And then you bend the knee willingly. You can bend the knee in fear, submission. But here's why we worship Jesus. Because he brings us to our knees with a melody. That's power. Paul tells us that the cross is the power of God. At the cross, we see the power revealed. God, come. This is the revelation. When he says, I will be revealed and all flesh will see it. The fulfillment of that is at Christ on the cross. 
When Jesus says in John chapter 12 that when I am lifted up, revealed, I will draw men to myself. So when you see people chanting in the streets, death to America, you know what? It will pass. So there's that. It will pass. Who knows how long it's got left? It's no longer. It will pass. But you know what they need? What is your prayer for them? We're going to vote Trump in and he's going to squash that. All right. Boy, that's glorious. But what if the Spirit of God hovered over that chaos? Like, do you know they're out there, they're angry. Do you know that angry is really just the opposite side of the coin of fear? Afraid. They're not secure. They don't have a refuge. This is it. Of course, if this is all you had and that faction is threatening it, we got to take to the streets. They're afraid. They don't have a refuge. They don't have a savior. Or if they do, they don't know the depth of his love that can still us. Like this is power. Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 1, the cross, the power of God. And he tells us that God's weakness is stronger than the strength of men. This is power. This is why we worship Jesus. There's this scene at the end of Lord of the Rings. Well, I'm sorry, it's in the end of the first movie. So you have, you know, this Boromir who is, you know, he comes from Gondor. And there's this character named Aragorn who's the king who's going to return, right? He's going to return and take over Gondor. That's his destiny. And Boromir is currently one of the ruling class in Gondor. He doesn't want him to come. He does not want to bend the knee. Gondor needs no king, right? Gondor has no king. And so there's this rivalry between them. But by the end of the first movie, Boromir bends the knee. If you remember, again, I don't have my phone here. So Boromir is dying, right? He's been shot through by many arrows. And Aragorn is with him, and and Boromir, in his dying words, says, I tried to take the ring. He tried to take the ring from Frodo, right? The corruption took over him. He's like King Hezekiah or David. At some point, there's a breaking point. He tries to take the ring, but he knows that Aragorn let them go. Aragorn could have taken the ring. I don't know if you remember Frodo. is faced with Aragorn, and he has the ring here, and he sees the look in Aragorn's eye, and he basically offers Aragorn the ring, and Aragorn walks up, and he closes his hand on the ring and lets him go. And Boromir said to Aragorn, you did what I could not do. You're not like me. And it won his allegiance, and he says, I would have fought with you to the end, my friend, my king. He won his allegiance. Not by browbeating him, not by abusing him, but by revealing something that was lacking in him. There's a lack revealed. When I was asking my daughter, like, right, how would God bring people to their knees? Like, what makes people bow? And she said, it's when you have a sense that you're not worthy. I said, yes. It's like, when you see that, when you see the cross, when you see what real power is, 
and you come face to face with the living God, you bend the knee. And it's a delight. It's a pleasure. So when we pray and ask God to do that, we're inviting, Lord willing, in our best moments, Him to come and love the nations. That's what people need. I'm out of time and out of words. So let's pray. All right? Well, actually, I want to invite the uh, response team up, uh, music team, and we will enter a time of response. We give you a little uh, direction for that. Um, yeah, if you believe God is speaking to you today, giving you a, a word, a message for the body, um, please submit that to me. I'll be up front. Uh, if you're in Cedar Falls, you can submit that to the MC, and uh, we'll discern whether or not that's uh, for us today or for a different time. We're going to sing, and we're going to sing. I mean, those words, you unravel me. Like, think about that. I was just struck by that. What does that mean, to be unraveled? I think it means you're just, like, all bound up with sin and confusion and, like, anger and fear, and he comes and just un undoes that and brings freedom, clarity, brings us to our knees with a melody. That's powerful. So we're going to sing, and we're going to take communion. And remember, this communion is where he gave his life for us. This is where he was revealed, and this is why he wants us to remember this. So I do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to always come back to that and remember. Here is where Christ compels you, not externally, but by being compelling, right? He says, I am not like you. I have done what you can't do. He gives himself fully, 100%, to his people. So sitting with his disciples, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's go to him. This is an opportunity to, to meditate, to remember, to pray, to confess sin to him, to confess together with friends or family, and to seek renewal in God's forgiveness of us. So let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you that your power is not like ours. It's poured out in mercy. And I pray we would see that and just be caught up with it and wonder and draw us in to worship God, to see and savor who you are. Amen.